Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Hello everyone and welcome and thank you for tuning in to episode 50 of the Bible Unmasked. I am your host, LaVon Brown, and this program, as you know, is by now, is our weekly Bible study that is aired Sunday nights at 7.30 on YouTube and Plantation SDA TV. Our goal is to read the entire Bible in 2021, and we're almost at an end of this program, which has really been a blessing. You can also share in this blessing by subscribing to the Plantation SDA Church's YouTube channel to be automatically notified of future episodes or any other live stream event. Please remember that our weekly reading plan is shared during Sabbath service and on social media. So wherever you are in your reading of the Bible, we welcome you and encourage you to text your Bible questions, our pastors and Principal Stevenson will address these questions weekly. Now, we are very pleased this evening to welcome a guest presenter. Our guest, guest presenter this evening is Pastor Anselm Paul. Welcome, Pastor Paul. How are you today? Good evening. I am doing okay. well. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, I am uh, I am blessed. I'm thrilled to be here with you. I, I uh -huh. am excited about what you are doing with this uh, walk through the Bible during the year. This is awesome. This is great. Okay, fantastic. Do you want to tell the viewers a little bit about who you are? <laughs> Um, well, uh, my name is Anselm Paul. I am uh, the pastor of the New Hope Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are neighbors. Um, we're just okay. across the street in plan. Not, we're not quite in Plantation, but we're in Melrose uh -huh. Park um, okay. here in Fort Lauderdale. I have been there for about uh, four or five years now. Um, I am married to Cindy. Um, I have the privilege of being her husband, Arcinda Paul. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I am passionate about about ministry, about um, uh, reaching people in, in a, particularly in the virtual space um, or in any space. And um, yeah, I, I am just excited about any any opportunity that we have to be able to reach people in, in a, an authentic way um, and, and to try to make the gospel relevant and real um, to where people are right now. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us this evening. We appreciate it. Um, so just to sort of do a quick recap, last week our reading was from Romans 15 through to 2 Corinthians 5. And our study covered, as you know, the Paul's letters to the, to the Romans and his first let, um, letter to the Corinthians. And um, this week, um, this evening, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 10 through to 1 Thessalonians 5. And um, we're going to be reading some of Paul's letters, including his letters to the Corinthians, the Galatians, Colossians, and uh, Thessalonians. And in his letters, of course, Paul makes an appeal to help spread the gospel. And there's a lot going on, and we'll discuss that a little bit more and also get into a little bit more in the questions. But before we move any further, Pastor Paul, can you say a word of prayer for us? 
Sure, let's do that. Father, it is always a privilege to be able to spend time in your word. We are asking now as we apply our hearts and our minds to it that we would not do so alone. So we're asking that you would send the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to to give us wisdom and to give us understanding because we know, Father, that without your spirit, when we try to understand, when we try to interpret your word, um, that we would often end up wrong and, and, and in a wrong place. And so we're asking for his guidance now. Send him. You promised us that you would. And so we're asking for him now, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So let's get into our questions for this evening. Let me just get this over here. All right. So our first question comes to us from 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. And it says, for such people are false prophets, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And the question is, what is a fake apostle? And how do we recognize one? <laughs> fake apostle. Um, we've heard yeah. a lot about fake uh, over the last couple of f- few years. Fake news. <laughs> um, yeah, fake news, yes. fake, fake everything. Yes. Um, <laughs> when it comes to, to apostles and what Paul is referencing here, Um, It's interesting that as you read this passage that Paul is making a case really Mm -hmm. for his own authenticity. Um, It Mm -hmm. seems if you have read, you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, that Paul feels as if his own authenticity has been called into question. Mm -hmm. And so in this verse, um, and I think the one that precedes it, he, he, he's trying to make a case. He's saying, yo, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm about this thing. This, this is, uh, (laughs) I'm not lying to y'all. I'm, I'm, Mm -hmm. and, and when he says for such people are false apostles, um, deceitful workers masquerading Mm -hmm. as apostles for Christ, um, oh, this he he has made a case earlier in, in the verse about him coming to Corinth, the church in Corinth, mm-hmm. and he did it for free. He didn't right. charge them anything. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, and I think it's in verse, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's it's in it's in the one or two verses above. He says, Yo, I actually robbed some other churches so that I could come and preach this gospel to you for free. As a matter of fact, I was here and when I needed stuff, there were brothers from Macedonia or some other place that came and brought me stuff. So you know I'm not trying to bamboozle Mm y'all. And so I think he's almost making a contrast here. Um, Over and over in the Old Testament, there are are two things I'll I'll try to make this more concise. Mm -hmm. That the Bible often uses the word in in terms of of people who are trying to teach the people and lead them astray. The word is hireling. Okay. Um, and with people who are like, y'all want to know about Jesus? How much mm-hmm. money you got? Um, <laughs> and it's like, I'll come and preach to you, but you got to pay me to do it. Mm-hmm. And Paul is saying, yo, this, this, this gospel is free, man. This thing that, that, that this good news about grace and about mercy and about salvation, like mm-hmm. I'll do this thing for free. So I think that's one element and this is touchy, but, but he's trying to make the case that, that what he's doing, he's doing it for a motive that is pure and that is not attached mm-hmm. to whether or not you cut him a check at the end of the day. 
Right. Um, now, is that is that uh, is that saying that everybody who gets a check at the end of the day is a false prophet? No, no. Is that, that the whole tithing system was set up in order to mm-hmm. uh, pay the clergy and whatnot. So it, when it boils down to it, just cutting to the chase, Isaiah answers this question in, in Isaiah chapter eight, verse 20. And he says to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. The law and the testimony, the law being that thing that those things that have come out of the mouth of God. Um, we we kind of default to the Ten Commandment law. Um, whatever God has said um, in his law, um, uh, if, if, if whatever this individual says is does not line up and measure up to what mm-hmm. the law says, and then the testimony, what is the testimony? The testimony we understand to be what the prophets, those mouthpieces, those spokespersons for God, what they have said about God's will and about God's way. If they are not congruent with what the law says and what those appointed mouthpieces for God have said, um, then there is no light in them. Now, yeah, that that's the easy answer. And I don't know how much time, I don't, I don't know if you want to dig into that, but but that that can get a very, very interesting for um, people of particularly our faith tradition. And mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that and let you dig if you want to. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'll let you push that further. We may, if you, if we you may come back around to it again. You never know okay. as we sure. go along. Okay. Got but it. feel free to delve as deep as you want to delve. That is fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, because um, it's, it's Bible study. So we want to get message across. Okay. Um, All right. All right. So 2 Corinthians 11, 25 to 28. Um, three, it reads thus, um, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers um, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger with from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concerns for all of the churches. So the question from this text, um, from this verse is, must all Christians suffer for Christ? Is suffering for Christ tied to our salvation? And before (laughs) I finish up, I just want to give a little bit of an experience. Um, I'm from Jamaica, back home in Jamaica. We had, um, there was, people would often make the statement that, and there was one brother in particular who felt as if you should be suffering all the time as a Christian. Mm. Or otherwise, you're not truly a Christian. Real Christian. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, but I'll let you answer the question. Yeah. Well, thank you for giving giving it that 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 uh, that context. Um, yeah. So here here's here's going to be the problem, and then is that I just preached on on Revelation chapter seven today at, okay. at my church. <laughs> And Revelation chapter seven brings uh, or touches this in a in a very hard to get away from spot. Um, mm-hmm. So if you don't mind, I'd like to take our, our listeners there for just oh, a please, quick minute. Revelation chapter seven. Yeah. Um, we know Revelation chapter seven as the introduction to this hundred and forty four thousand. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what I noticed in the text is that there is uh, uh, some description of the 144,000 that we often misapply as descriptors to who they are. And, 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 and in the text, 
um, the first first six verses or first eight verses, um, John is seeing this 144,000 and he's describing them as coming out of all of the tribes, 12,000 from each tribe. But then John sees a different number. And I'm so glad that he sees this other number. Uh-huh. And it starts in verse nine. And he says, and after this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations, of all kindreds and tongues and people. And they stood before the lamb and the throne. They were clothed with white robes. They had palms in their hands. They cried with a loud voice saying salvation uh, to our God that sits upon the throne. Now, an elder sees what John is seeing in John's vision or in John's, uh, as he's being exposed to this. And one of him asked this question in verse 13, what are these that are arrayed in white robes? Many Uh times we take the answer to that question and apply it to the 144,000. But in Uh the text, there is no indication that the 144,000 are wearing white robes. The Bible says the ones who have white robes are the number that no man could number. Now watch what he says about them. Um, He asked, where did they come from? And, And John says, I don't know. And he said unto me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. In other words, um, we have often said that the 144,000 are the ones who've come through great tribulation. But the text says it's the ones who are wearing white robes. Mm-hmm. And the ones who are wearing white robes are numbered. the number that no man can mm-hmm. number. And of these, John sees, uh, the elder is telling him, these are the ones who came out of great tribulation. So mm-hmm. what's, what's this thing? Mm-hmm. If you're going to be saved... Uh-huh. If you're going to be of the number that no man could number, you're going to go through some stuff. So, and he yeah. doesn't say it's a little tribulation. It's a little bit of me. He says great, great tribulation. <laughs> yes. These are they that came uh-huh. out of great tribulation. So does it mean that you're always going to be consistently as you prefaced in that, uh-huh. that every day you're going to be in some trouble? Um, my answer is yes. But what that trouble is, I understand this, is that great tribulation and that great trouble, John sees it this way. He sees later on in the text where somebody says, woe Mm -hmm. unto the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil has come down unto you with great Mm -hmm. wrath, knowing that he has but a short time. So the trouble that these folk go through is trouble that is designed to make Mm -hmm. you doubt your relationship with God. See, somebody who is wrestling with their relationship with God, trying to figure out, is God really real? Is he really hearing my prayers? Is he all that he said he is? Somebody who's wrestling with that, oh, that's trouble. Whereas Uh somebody else who's just trying to to find the next dollar to pay the next bill, that's trouble for them. But trouble for this group of people, it's a different kind of trouble because it's coming from a source that is designed Uh to try to mess up your relationship with God. So while people of faith may still be trying to find the next dollar for the next bill, they ain't so much worried about that like the folk in the street because they know that their father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. 
themselves. They've got a little bit of trust and faith in there that can carry them through some stuff that ordinary people can't figure out a way how to get through. The trouble that these folk are going through, this trouble, this tribulation, um, all of what Paul was talking about in the text, he went through all of this stuff. Uh-huh. The devil is bringing some of that stuff to Paul to say, uh-huh, Paul, you thought you was going to be, you know, high and dry, sitting high and pretty, speaking for God. And you thought you were going to be staying in in, in the Ritz-Carlton and the Waldorf hysteria. You, you said you were homeless and naked and cold and all this stuff. Uh-huh. Um, here is, here is, let's take example, Elijah. Elijah does what God asked him to do when he goes and puts his bony prophetic finger in the face of Ahab and says, there shall be dew nor rain these years except by my words. And then the next thing God tells Elijah to do is run. Uh He runs from Ahab and he finds himself not in the Waldorf, not in the best Western. He finds himself by a brook being fed, not five-star meals by a world-star chef. He's being fed by ravens, um, slim pickings along the way. So, Uh but along this thing, I think the trouble is designed by the adversary in order to try to make you doubt the fact that God has called you to be who you are, to try to Mm -hmm. doubt the fact that God can sustain you and keep you along the way because he's constantly always trying to mess up our connection with God. So to the question, must all Christians Mm -hmm. suffer for Christ? The answer Mm -hmm. is yes, absolutely yes. All those who will live, what's that? In one way or the other will suffer. Yes. Absolutely. Mm. And as, as a matter of fact, it's not just that kind of trouble. There's a different kind of trouble that Paul introduces as persecution when he says, all those that shall live godly shall mm. suffer persecution. So yes. that's persecution as opposed to just trouble. Somebody may say trouble is, yeah, I can't pay my rent. I'm having relationship trouble with my, my, my spouse or my children and my family members. I'm having issues in my church family. That, that, that's trouble. But persecution is, is it, it's, it's pointed. Um, it's like you are absolutely being persecuted for a reason. And the context in which Paul says that all those who live godly shall persecute, shall suffer persecution. It is to this question. It is because of the fact of your Christianity, of your faith, of your belief in Jesus Christ. Now, um, I do want to say this is that in the text in Revelation, it says these are they which mm-hmm. came out of great right. tribulation. Hey, so they hey, came hey, out hey. of it. Amen. <laughs> yeah. It's like you got into it, but yeah. the one, but it you came out of it. Um, right. And so that that's the powerful thing about this text is that those that number that no man can number. Yes, everybody that got there has been in great tribulation, but everybody who gets there is going to have will have come, out, come out of, of great tribulation. So Amen. you might be going through it right now, but just make yeah. sure you don't stop. Keep on going through it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Pastor. All right. So the next question comes to us from 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1. And it reads, this will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. The question is, must we apply this principle in church today of two or three witnesses? Sure. Why not? <laughs> I mean, that that, that one is... That was pretty easy. Yes. 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 
we can. Must we apply this principle in the church today? Why why wouldn't we apply this principle uh-huh. today? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> I, I don't works, really. Works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's jump to the next question. Second <laughs> Corinthians 13, 11 to 13. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people um, here send their greetings. So is discord within the church a sign of discontent um, from Christ? Mm, is discord within the church a sign of disconnect from Christ? So, <clears throat> sorry, right? Uh-huh. This one, this one is perhaps a little more nuanced. I would love to say yes. Next question. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but this is this is why I'm I'm a little slow to just give you a direct yes. Uh-huh. Is because I'm looking at at Paul's one of Paul's missionaries missionary journeys. And and he's having there's this rift between oh I gotta make sure I'm I'm calling these names right y'all check it out make sure that I'm saying this right Paul and mm-hmm. was it Paul and Barnabas I think are mm-hmm. are having this this argument over John Mark um, I got y'all check me on that name too okay okay uh, um and, and there's discord one of them wants to take him and mm-hmm. the other one doesn't now what are they doing. What are they getting ready to do? They're not going to the car lot to buy a car and saying, no, I don't want that brother along. They're not going to a family dinner and saying he always uh-huh. doesn't know how to handle himself. They're, no, they're going to preach the gospel. Yes. Um, they're going to tell people about this Christ. They're not trying to be disconnected from him. They are trying to connect other people to him. Right. And yet there's a rift. Mm-hmm. There's this there's this disconnect between themselves on whether or not this young man should accompany them. Um, and, and, and you know the story. Um, mm-hmm. Eventually, Paul says, nah, this brother ain't coming with me. If, you, if he wants to go, you take him. And right. so instead of the three of them going together, Barnabas takes him and they go off on their own because they could not reconcile the argument or the disagreement or based on the, the discord that was between them. And what Barnabas and, and, and the young man did we don't have any evidence that it was not edifying and upbuilding to the kingdom of God. What did Paul do where Paul went? We don't have any evidence that in spite Uh of the discord that where he went on his journey and in his preaching that he did not build up the kingdom of God. And the only way you build up the kingdom of God is being connected to Christ. So ah, what's, what's the takeaway from, from, from that? I don't know. Um, I've seen that there is discord. In, you will have um, discord in the church because we're not all the same, you know, yeah. and we read the same Bible, but some of us may walk away with a different you know, view. Um, at the end of the day, we come together, we talk about it, we pray about it and we move on. But um, if we all had the same mind and we all thought the same way, then there will be no discord. But then at the same time, it would not be <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to have this card, but I don't know if that shows that there's a disconnect from Christ because there is disagreements. 
Yeah. I, I think if, if, if we were to take the term literally, so, so the mm-hmm. discord is, is, is literally a musical term, right? Mm-hmm. Um, discord, you're talking about chords and you're talking mm-hmm. about dissonance. That's the, the dissonance between the musical notes. Um, and, and, and so I think we've got to be careful too, as we, as we dissect this thing is mm-hmm. discord or disheart, uh, uh, is the same thing as being in unison. Um, mm-hmm. You can be on different notes, right. but be singing the same song. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You can, but, but you can't be in a different key mm-hmm. on a different note in a different key and be in the same right. song. Right. So the right. discord there, there is mm-hmm. no harmony. So you don't have to be in unison. You can be on different mm-hmm. notes. Right. But if you're right. in the same song, that creates harmony. Yes. Um, and so those are some things I think that we have to take into account and put in perspective when mm-hmm. we're talking about being connected with Christ. And so I do believe that that right. discord in that sense does indicate some disconnect from okay, Christ. Okay. Okay. Um, but 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 just because we're not on the same note mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we are disconnected from Christ. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you for that. I don't know Pastor. if that helps or not, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure it will. <laughs> um, for the for the for the um, person sending in the questions. All right. So Galatians two nineteen to twenty one says, "For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God." I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God um, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for righteousness and could be gained. Sorry, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Can you please explain this passage? Oh boy, how much time do we have? Uh, this is a this is a, a whole another month series. Short version. Um, so let let's take let's take. I'm I'm trying to imagine the 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 who wrote the question and and what mm-hmm. their 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 main thing is. So let's take that last phrase or the last couple of phrases there. Mm-hmm. I do not set aside the grace of Christ. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, mm-hmm. then Christ died. Yeah for nothing. Um, So here's the scenario. Um, uh, There's another guy, John. Tom goes and in a fit of blind rage, he murders Tom. Did I get that right? Tom and John. One of them murders the other. Tom Tom is the murderer. Tom murders John. Right. Um, Tom gets caught. Um, he goes to jail while he's in jail. Preacher comes through sermon is preached. Tom gets a picture of Jesus. He knows that Jesus is loving. He knows that Jesus is forgiving, that he is merciful, that he is kind. 
John hears that if he confesses his sin, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive him and to cleanse him from all unrighteousness. So John, after I mean, Tom, after hearing all of what he has heard about Jesus, he falls in love with Jesus and he gives his heart to Jesus. And he is now a converted Christian. He's serving his time in jail. And and Tom decides that never again will he murder anybody. Never again will he let Uh his temper get the best of him. And as far as we know, from that day forward, Tom never does. He never loses his temper. He never lets it get the best of him. He never murders anybody else. Furthermore, not only that, Tom comes in contact with the law. Thou shall not Uh kill. Thou shall not steal. Thou shall not commit adultery. From that day forward, Tom purposes in his heart that he will not break Uh a single component of that entire law. And he, and let's just imagine, we're just imagining here. Let's imagine that he does that perfectly from Uh that day forward. But guess what? John is still dead. Mm -hmm. There's no amount of keeping the law from that day forward that that Tom can do that will resurrect John. Mm -hmm. John is still dead. And who killed John? Tom. Tom. (laughs) This commandment keeping law loving Jesus follower, Tom, is the one who killed John. Mm -hmm. No matter how often or how well or how perfectly he keeps that law from the day that he falls in love with Jesus and gives his heart to him, that law cannot go back in time and undo his killing of John. So for if righteousness could be gained through the law, he will not gain that epithet, that, that, that label of being a righteous person because he has already committed a felony. He's already committed a sin. He's already committed a murder. That righteousness will never absolve Tom of the murder of John. What does? The blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. It is the mercy and the grace <laughs> that is applied to Tom's life, not by the law, but by the Savior that puts him in a right standing before God. His righteousness is given to him, is gifted to him, not Amen. because of his keeping, his ability to keep the law, but because of his relationship with the Savior. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you. That explains it very well. <laughs> All right. So, all right. So our next question is, is, it comes to us from Galatians 6, verse 1. Um, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, um, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Can um, The question is, can you provide examples of actions that the church can take to gently restore a sinner? Are this, um, this fellowship and, cens- and censure always also ways to restore gently? Okay. All right. <clears throat> Can I ask a quick question, though, Pastor? Sure. Before you yep. Do we still do that in terms of this fellowship? Um, I know um, I've seen where churches have um, business meetings and they will call out the names of all the persons who are being disfellowshipped from the church because they have um, gone against their, their, their you know, vows to the church and to God. So is it still, yeah. so still something that we do? 
Yeah, I, I, I think that if there's ever a, a way to do some, you know, if you want to pack this, especially for, for, for communications directors and churches who need to take pictures of, of churches that are full of people, have a business meeting where you're disfellowshipping somebody. Everybody shows up. Everybody comes oh, back. People oh you God. ain't seen in, in decades show up when church discipline is getting ready to take place. Oh, no. I, um, oh, no. But um, so, so yes, to your question. Um, mm-hmm. y- yes. I, I, to my, to my understanding there, there are still church of discipline that takes place where people are okay. both censured and disfellowshipped. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, um, yeah, that that still takes place. Now, it may I I don't think that it is as common as yeah. it used to be, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not so sure that that's a good thing. But I do understand um, some of the rationale for it, and it's like, man, everybody got stuff. If we start doing this stuff, you know, th- then mm-hmm. everybody's going to have some some reason to be censured or or to be disfellowshipped. Right. So. That's, I think, some of the rationale why we do not see it as much. And again, I'm not so sure that that's a good thing, but I think that does explain why we we don't necessarily see it as prevalent as before. I think one of the other reasons why it is not as prevalent is is not so much because everybody thinks everybody has something. It's mm-hmm. I, I think because you know we have seen church discipline administered in a way that is not restorative, um, mm-hmm. that is purely punitive. Um, mm-hmm. And then it make it comes across as we don't love these people. We don't even like these people. We don't want mm-hmm. them among right. us. We don't want to be associated with these icky people because they mm-hmm. did this thing, whatever mm-hmm. that thing was. Um, and, and, and I think we've, we've noticed that and, and we've, we've, it, it got to the point where we did it so much that almost everybody had, had knew somebody or a loved one or a friend yeah. who had gone through that and they saw the results. This mm-hmm. was not a, how, how did the question read? It was not a gentle, I'm looking for the question. Uh, uh, there was not a, a way, it was not a way that was used to gently restore. It mm-hmm. was simply a way to get y'all out of here. Y'all can't be doing yeah. that stuff up in here with all of us holy folk. What were y'all thinking? Um, yes. And so, you know, kind of came across like that. So, right. you know, um, um, yeah, go ahead, Pastor. Go, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I mean, it, this is something that I think, I'm not sure if the church is even looking into it, but I think it's something that we should really think about carefully in terms of whether or not we should continue. I've known of persons who have, um, through this fellowship, have just never come back to church yeah. because yeah. of the scar that the whole process has left on them. You know, yeah. the fact that they were this, this fellowship, it, it's, it's a sign to say, well, we don't want you. You yeah. know, so we have to, I mean, it may not apply to everyone that's this fellowship. Some persons may come back readily, but some don't. So it's just something that I think the church should look at seriously. Yeah. You know, in, in my, what, 20, 26, 27 years of, of, of pastoring, I think I, I have only been in a situation of, of having to disfellowship. Mm-hmm. I could count on, on, on one hand. Okay. Um, and, you know, a church manual kind of governs that based mm-hmm. on biblical concepts or precepts. Mm-hmm. And 
when when I have recommended it or, or used it, um, it has been in circumstances and situations where both the lifestyle and the attitude of the individual have been openly and outright right. rebellious towards, uh -huh. and they were saying, we don't care. We uh -huh. don't even want to be a part okay. of this anymore. Um, I, I think most of us who grew up in, 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 in our particular faith tradition, um, and probably others, it's been the big issue when we were growing up was the people got this fellowship for was having a child out of wedlock. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I have had numbers of those or situations. Or working on the Sabbath, but mostly or, having a child out of wedlock. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I've never come across the working on the Sabbath. One, oh, okay. Okay. Um, in, in my ministry anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but the, but the, that one, the, the ch child out of wedlock, and and in most of the cases that 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 have come my way, um, individuals have come to me and mm -hmm. said, "Pastor, we got to talk. This mm -hmm. is what went down, and, and this is where we are." Um, and man, we're sorry, you know. And and it's like they came and and they were saying, you know, they felt bad. They knew that they had messed up. Mm -hmm. um, they 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 felt that they this was something that was outside of the will of God. So they recognized their mm -hmm. mistake. Um, and when that has happened with me, anyway, the first thing, the very first thing um, that I say to that young lady is, mm -hmm. "Are you being taken care of? Do you have a doctor? Ha have you, mm -hmm. you know?" And and I want those. I want young ladies to know. Look. I get that, but the first thing that I'm concerned about is you. How's the health of the child? How what are, are we doing everything that mm -hmm. we need? Can I well, can I recommend great. somebody yeah. to you? Do you have a pediatrician? Do you have a right. you know? Um, those are things that I, I want to establish first, and then I talk to the to the kids generally about their relationship. You know, where mm -hmm. where, where where is this going? Is this uh, something that y'all want to develop? And so I'm counseling them on their relationship mm -hmm. with each other. Why? Because ultimately, that's going to affect and impact the life of that child, of, yes, of, of the relationship between the parents. Right. And so if there's anything that I can do with them, I'm not encouraging them to get married just because they have a kid. I'm, I'm not doing mm -hmm. that. Um, but I do want them to think through that and process through that. Um, and, and then ultimately, then I say, it's after we go through all of that, then I start talking. So y'all know, y'all wouldn't be here if you didn't know that the church has a position and whatnot. And I say, I copy, here is the, and I give them the manual, I copy it for them. This is the role that the church plays when it comes to discipline. Mm -hmm. This is what can be done. This is what can't be done. There are going to people right. who are going to come to you and say, oh, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. Mm. You can read for yourself. This is what the church can do. And this is what they can't do. And whatever they do, this is how it must be done. So right. I want to make sure that they are educated as to, you know, the process that will come. And then I'll tell them. And, and the last thing I tell them is, look, you're going to have some people in this church that are going to keep you at arm's length. Mm -hmm. um, they're going to hold their nose when they walk by you, you know, mm. figuratively. Um, and you're going to feel people are going to look at you funny. That's going to happen. That's, yeah. that's the nature of just living with, with people. 
Uh-huh. Said, but there's going to be another group of people who are going to wrap their arms around you and pull you close and let them know that, that they love you, that uh-huh. God loves you, um, and 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 they will be the ones who are going to help you get through this thing because we're going to get through this thing. Right. Um, right. And I just want to reassure them and let them know that Pastor is one of them who's uh-huh. going to help them get through this get thing. Through it. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Well, that's great. That's that's definitely the best approach for sure. Um, all right. Uh, next question is from Ephesians 5 verse 11. Have nothing to do with the fruit, fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Mm, and yeah, uh, the question, mm. how are we to expose the fruitless deeds of darkness? <laughs> you sinner, you you seed of Beelzebub, you. Yes, because God has placed this here for that purpose only, to pick them out, right? Yeah, <laughs> pick yeah, up the, yeah, the yeah. seeds of darkness. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I have found in my ministry something that, that I, I don't know who says it, it's some commercial. I, I think um, I think it was back in the day, the, the was it the Negro, United Negro College Fund, that they had a commercial that they used to say that reading is fundamental. Um, I don't remember. I don't know. <laughs> okay. That that was a, I think that was a commercial when I was a kid growing up. That okay. reading is fundamental. Okay. And in passages like this, it rings even more true. Mm-hmm. Have nothing to do with the fruitless doers of darkness, mm-hmm. but rather expose the people who do them. That's right. how many people read that text. And that mm-hmm. is not what the text says. The text does not say have nothing to do with the people who do deeds of darkness. He said it says have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of Mm -hmm. darkness, but rather not expose the people, expose the deeds. Mm -hmm. So talk to your kids about how premarital sex can end up messing up their lives. Talk Mm -hmm. to your kids about how addictions and drug addictions and and, and things like that can mess up their lives and their health. You're exposing the Mm -hmm. deeds of darkness. Expose the deeds. Make sure that your children know and that your members know, your family members know that this deed, it is a dark deed. Don't get messed Uh up in this stuff. We have a tendency to want to try to to, to spend our effort and our energy exposing the doers of the deeds rather than the deeds themselves. And, And if you do that, thinking that you are adhering to this particular text, you're wrong. It's Mm -hmm. not what the text says. It says, uh, rather expose the deeds of darkness. There's people out there who every time they see somebody, they want to call them out and put them on blast. The Bible Mm -hmm. says this, that love, love, covers a multitude of Uh sins. Jesus in John chapter eight, was it John chapter nine? uh, 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 The woman caught in adultery. Woman, Uh go and sin no more. And sin no more. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so so that's, you know, the deeds of of evil, not the doers of evil. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for that, Pastor. All right, our final question, Philippians 1, 15 to 18. Um, it is true that some pre others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. 
The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposingly, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So the question is, can we apply this passage to different denominations and conclude that as long as they preach Christ, nothing else matters? Oh, wow. This is a great <laughs> question. This is a great question. Um, so th this, this, I, I said, we, you know, I, I kind of left something hanging off of the first question, and it was this. Mm -hmm. um, so that first question was, how do we recognize a false apostle or a fake apostle? Mm -hmm. The answer to that question we found in Isaiah chapter eight, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, there is no light in them. Um, Seventh-day Adventists, and you've heard me say before in our faith tradition, I'm talking about the Seventh-day Adventist church, Christian right. church, Seventh-day Adventist Christian church, um, that we believe that the entire Ten Commandment law is still valid and is still binding today. Um, just as much as it was when God took that stone and wrote it with his finger mm -hmm. up on Mount Sinai, um, that all 10 of those commandments, including the fourth commandment. Now, we also know mm -hmm. that among all of the Christian religions, or uh, Christian denominations, rather, in the world, there yes. are very few of them that observe uh, that teach that all 10 of the commandments are still to be observed today. Now, mm -hmm. we know that there are Seventh-day Baptist and, and other religions, other denominations, Christian denominations that do observe the Sabbath. So Seventh-day Adventists are not the only ones that right. look at the entire law and say that those mm -hmm. things are still binding. Um, however, you, we wrestle with that first text. And I, I was going to get into that before, but I said, nah, I'll let that slide. And then this question kind of brings us right back, <laughs> right back to it. Um, so how do we deal with that? How do we grapple with and wrestle with the idea that here are people who believe that Jesus came, lived, mm -hmm. died, rose again, ascended to heaven, because he wanted to save a jacked up humanity. I mm -hmm. mean, that, that's becoming you know, the common gospel pretty much among Christianity, no matter which version of Christianity or denomination mm -hmm. that you're in. So Paul is saying here, does it matter what your motive is? Notice that his question is about motive. It is not about content. Mm -hmm. except as it pertains to Christ. He's saying, I don't care if your motive for preaching Christ is wrong. So what Paul is addressing here is not really the differences in denominations, the doctrinal beliefs that differ. Okay. He's not talking about a difference in doctrine. He's talking about a difference in motive. That's mm -hmm. what, now I, I get that the question is asking something different. I just want to be clear that Paul is not addressing that in this passage. Paul mm -hmm. is not addressing whether different truths 
or okay. different facts about the truth can be or should be preached. He's addressing what the motive is for preaching those facts about the truth, whether you know, whether those whether those those things be true or not. That's mm-hmm. just not really what Paul is addressing in the passage. Now, if I stop okay. there, that's an easy, easy cop out without really dealing <laughs> with, <laughs> no, with the heart. Of, the question still stands. <laughs> the question still stands, right. right? So, can we apply this passage to different denominations uh, and conclude that as long as they preach Christ, nothing else matters? No, absolutely not. You cannot right. do that. Why? Because of what I just explained that this mm-hmm. passage is not dealing with preaching error or truth it's dealing with the motive so you the only read the only way that you can apply this to different denominations is if you are addressing their motive for preaching christ um Mm -hmm. so nothing else matters um truth always matters yeah Um, that there, there's never a context in in which truth does not mm-hmm. matter. Now, how much it matters for what inside the context of a specific time and place, that becomes a nuance that becomes mm-hmm. important to, to work through. So um, here is um, <laughs> here is Paul. Um, Paul is gotten messed up in front of the, uh, the the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, right? So Paul does not particularly agree with the theology and the doctrine of the totally of the Pharisees or of the Sadducees, but they are both coming down on him, and Paul figure Paul figures a way to get out of this thing, mm-hmm. and so. He pulls up a doctrine and a theology of the resurrection. And as soon as this, because they're debating on what are they going to do with Paul, they're debating on Paul's theology and Paul's doctrine. What Paul does is he throws out this idea because Paul was a Pharisee. He ends up throwing out this doctrine of the resurrection when he knew that the Pharisees and the sat and the, and, and the sat that they were going to get together and fuss and argue over that thing. So what did he do? He essentially allied himself with a group of people who did not share his ultimate, his big picture theology about who Jesus was and what Jesus was to the world. But in order to achieve a specific goal in that moment in time, I'm going somewhere. He (laughs) made sure that he was allied with them on a point on which they did agree. So I know I'm moving outside of the of of the question, but oftentimes we look at other denominations and say to ourselves that because they do not speak according to the law, as we understand it, the full Ten Commandment law or to all of the testimony on things like the state of the dead, on things Mm -hmm. like the sanctuary. Then we feel that they are anathema and that there is never a time, never a place, never a context in which it makes sense or which it is okay for us to ally ourselves with them. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And I think this speaks more to the heart of the question than I think just the simple answer. And, mm-hmm. and, and we see over and over from the example, this example, like we see of Paul um, and somebody might say, well, that's a very weak example. He was trying to save his skin. He was trying to get out of there. Like, <laughs> Come on. Jesus could have saved his skin. He didn't, he didn't have to you know, do that. And we see this in, in, in other places um, as well. But but this idea, Paul is saying, um, or, or how we deal with other denominations, I think there is room. You're trying to go and feed the homeless, and there's another church across town. Um, mm-hmm. They don't believe what you believe about the Sabbath. They don't believe what you believe about the state of the dead. They don't believe about uh, what you believe about the, the health of, of the body and, and all of those things. But they are trying to do something that is upward. Same thing that you're trying to do. Um, right. And, and so being able to say, hey, let's pool our resources together and let's do this good thing for the community. Mm-hmm. I think that, that God is fine with that. And not only is he fine with it, it gives us an opportunity to be able to be in places and spaces where we can share through our life and our testimony some things that some of those people in those other churches might never hear. They're not coming yeah. to your Revelation seminar. They're not coming. They might come and help you pass out some sandwiches um, and some shoes and some coats. But when you come by their house and you hand them that little flyer, their pastor gets up in the pulpit and says, hey, don't don't y'all go to this thing. So, you know, so, yeah, it's 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 um, there. There's a lot of room for us us to grow uh, when it comes to collaborating um, in ways that we can. And I'm being very intentional um, with that language there. so that all of those different denominations, and we know this, we say this over and over, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not, that are not of off this fold. fold. Right. Um, and, and he uses that personal mm-hmm. possessive pronoun. Um, I have, they belong right. to me. They are mm-hmm. mine. They are my sheep. They're Uh not of this fold. But then he says, they will hear my voice Uh and they will come. Um, Amen. Yeah. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Paul. That was actually our very last question. Thank you so much for answering all the different questions this evening and for taking the time to be here with us. Um, Next week, we're actually going to be reading um, 2 Thessalonians 1 through to James 5. And basically, we are going to be covering, concluding Paul's letters, and we're going to then move on to the book of James. So you can tune in and ask your um, your congregants to tune in, tune in also. Absolutely. <laughs> and, um, read, in, invite every. I'm inviting all our viewers to read through and text your questions in again to nine five four three eight 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 seven eight zero, and please. Don't read everything all at once. Read it in bits and pieces and, you know, text your questions in as you read. Next week, we're going to have Pastor Jen and Principal Stevenson, and they're going to be taking us um, through our our, um, Bible study. All right. So thanks. We want to say thanks to all our viewers. And thank you so much again, Pastor Paul, for being here with us. And um, this is where we end our Bible study for this evening. Pastor, can you just close us out in prayer? Sure. And just, I just want to say thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this. This is is great. This is great. And thank you for doing what you're doing. Let's pray. 
Gracious Father, again, we just want to say thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it gives us understanding, it gives us wisdom. Um, and Lord, as, as we seek to, to understand it better, we're not just wanting intellectual information, but Father, we're wanting inside transformation. And so we pray that the things that we have studied and the things that we apply our hearts and our minds to in your word would make a difference in the relationships that we have with people in our every day lives, that it would make a difference in, in how we make choices and decisions as we go about our day, that it would make a difference in our relationship with you, that our, our bond would grow stronger, it would grow deeper, so that one day when you soon come back, that you will be able to look at us and look inside of us, and you would be able to see the character of your dear son being reproduced in our lives. And not only would you see it then on that day, but that our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers and our classmates might be able to see that the character of a lovely Jesus is being reproduced in us. And as they see him in us, that they might come to a place where they just can't help but fall deeply and madly and passionately in love with Jesus. We thank you so much for the opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Plantation SDA Church presents the Bible Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30 p.m. for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with the Bible Unmasked.